Welcome to Church's Changing Podcast. I'm your host, Beth Estock, and today I have the pleasure to talk with Luke Edwards. He's a United Methodist minister with a background in social work, which you will soon discover is very important in this conversation. Luke is a cultivator of new forms of church in the Western North Carolina Conference. He works as the Associate Director of Church Development. He's the author of a great book called Becoming Church, A Trail Guide for Starting Fresh Expressions. And he also has a newsletter called The Listening Church that you can find on Substack, where he offers practices to help any faith community develop core practices to help them engage in this postmodern, post-Christendom world. He actually helps us move from a program and solution-centered approach to ministry to more of a contemplative way of listening in order to build that community. So welcome, Luke Edwards, to Church's Changing Podcast. Thanks for having me, Beth. You know, Luke, there's so many things we could talk about today, but the thing that I have really enjoyed uh, in your work is getting your newsletter. And I am an avid fan of your newsletter. It's all focused on this spiritual listening plan. So I really want us to focus on that today. And I'm wondering first, how did you come about developing this spiritual listening plan? Well, let's see. It, it goes back to, I guess, my social work education. As you mentioned, I studied social work at Appalachian State. And as a college student, I was involved at Boone United Methodist Church in a contemporary service starting. And then as I was learning about social work, learning about social problems, and leading worship at Boone UMC, I started to kind of look into what would it look like for our church to become more involved in the community in addressing social problems. And so for one of my projects, I did a community assessment. And like a lot of churches, that community assessment was based on kind of needs. And so we went out to various social workers, social agencies, and asked, what are some of the greatest needs you see in the community? And then what are some of the holes and services? And that was kind of our approach to being more engaged with the community. And over the next several years, was involved in community engagement uh, for Boone UMC, was uh, volunteered to kind of organize some local mission programs, and then became the missions pastor after I graduated from college there. And just discovered kind of through trial and error that going after addressing needs just felt incomplete. It felt like we weren't engaging our neighbors as whole people, but we're kind of seeing them as problems to be fixed. No matter how hard we tried to kind of make our programs empowering, they just couldn't quite get over that edge. And so I was then asked to start a, a new campus of Boone UMC and agreed to that. And that time when I did a listening process, it looked really different. It was a very different community assessment. I was asking very different questions of my neighbors. Say, hey, if I was to form a new faith community in this community that has a ton of faith communities, what should it look like? What, what is something that you would go to? What, is your, what are your spiritual practices? What are your beliefs? Why don't you go to church? What's something that's holding you back? I just, it was a very different process 
and it led to a very different type of ministry and one that was a lot more holistic and ended up being a lot more liberating for our neighbors that were living on the margins. We ended up connecting with folks who were getting out of incarceration and and some just really cool justice work emerged out of that. And so it's been 15 years that I've been in community engagement ministry, kind of church ministry outside of the walls, and in that journey have wrestled with what is the best way for the church to do this? What's the best way for the church to to, to move outside of its walls and and have started to land on it's it's we have to view our neighbors as whole people with with deep longings with desires with spiritual longings and that far too often we just approach our community as needs to be met and so this process of listening really kind of emerged out of that and then I started my doctorate in ministry a little over a year ago met United in their Fresh Expressions focus group with Michael Beck. And in that, had to pick a dissertation. And I was excited to, to join that program. I started to look at a few different things that I could, could focus in on, could you know create something for the church. The Doctorate of Ministry is all about kind of creating something that will help the church. And so I narrowed it down to a few things, and, and one of them was to, to really bolster this listening process. And actually, Paul Nixon, your co-host, was part of that journey. When I wrote Becoming Church, he told me that my chapter on listening was one of the best he had read. And I know Paul reads a lot, and I know he doesn't give out compliments for nothing. And so I was like, oh, maybe I do have something to say here. And so that helped me zero in on on this. And, and so from my experience, myself, listening to the community in hopes of starting a fresh expression and then working with other churches that have gone through that, develop this three-part spiritual listening plan. So tell us a little bit about this listening plan. Yeah, so it's it's a interactive PDF. It's free to download at thelisteningchurch.com slash plan. And it has three parts, so kind of three columns with four activities in each and then a, a kind of final activity. And so the, the three sections of the plan are listening to God, listening to your congregation, and listening to your neighbors. And so in, within each of those as four activities, a, a church can appoint a listening team, a, a missions committee can go through it, a pastor can go through it. There's all kinds of possibilities of, of how to go about it. You can do the whole thing. You can pick one from each column or two from each column, and then the activity or the plan concludes with a, a spiritual discernment of your findings. So it's a kind of work through it on your own kind of plan that allows the church to really, in a contemplative way, in a prayerful way, approach their community and, and find that place where the Holy Spirit's in, inviting them to go deeper. You know, I have the listening plan right here on my bulletin board. It's just there. I have your book right here. What I really love about your blog, your newsletter, is that you really help people. It's not just, oh, you need to go listen to your community. It's, well, how do you do that? What is the attitude? What is the approach? And so you really break it down into easy steps. And it's beautiful. So thank you, Luke, for that. 
I think what I want to ask more questions on because, okay, well, maybe we have a little bit of capacity to listen to God in church. Maybe we have a little bit more capacity to listen to one another, just a little bit more, not not too much. (laughs) (laughs) But this listening to neighbor, wow, that's a big jump. So can you walk us through a little bit about what you've discovered that you're finding that is helpful for congregations in that particular aspect of it? Yeah. So the the listening to your neighbor got four activities. There's, some of them have multiple kind of options within them. So one of them is the spiritual reflection walk. And, and prayer walking is not something new for kind of folks that are discerning ministry next steps. But the ones that I've suggested here are some things that I've drawn, kind of combining some contemplative practices. So one walk is a, a Lectio walk, so kind of borrowing the the stages of Lectio Divina, but in a, a prayerful walk. So really trying to invite the Spirit to open our, our senses, to show us what God wants us to see, and, and to take time to reflect, to pray with God about what we've seen and and try to discern where the Spirit is drawing us. Also, that have a, a guided walk that I borrow from a, a book, I'm going to forget the name of it, where a author walks through her neighborhood with 10 different people of various expertises. It's a really cool book that just got me thinking, what would it look like for us to invite someone to, to walk through our community together? So I've heard a lot of great feedback from folks that are doing that. I've heard of you know, retreats, doing that as a group together, heard of churches doing it. And then most recently, I've started to hear from pastors that are new to an appointment, also folks that are planting new communities doing it. And some really cool things are emerging from that. One pastor was telling me the other day about the change in his feelings as he walked through a part of his community that he knew was a place that criminality was occurring and said that, you know, when he first would walk through that that area of his community, felt really uneasy, felt anxious. And over time, he really started to to see it with wonderment is the word he used and to to wonder what God could do in that place and and to offer to God if if he might be a part of that redemption. So stories like that, I, I just love hearing a Another part of that, listening to neighbor, this actually emerged out of some of my research from my doctorate. I was researching John Woolman, who's a, a Quaker abolitionist, or early abolitionist, and he just had this ability to see s- systems and how they were just broken, how they were serving some people and not others. And, and he was able to see things that others weren't. And so there's a, a systems mapping activity that I've included in this stage to kind of challenge churches to just think about what are the systems that exist in your community? Who do they benefit? Who do they not benefit? Where are the places of power? How can we be a, a avenue of justice in those systems as congregations? Then there's the neighbor interviews. And, and kind of as I mentioned earlier, just asking better questions than we have, asking more holistic questions when we do approach our neighbors and really discovering what our neighbors care about, what their gifts are, what their passions are, what their dreams are, as opposed to just asking what their needs are. 
And then adding that demographic report, which I, I think is a really excellent tool that every United Methodist has access to for free. Mission Insight has a contract with every conference in the United Methodist Church. So it is available to all of us. And, and I've also found that sometimes we overuse it or or only utilize that in a listening process and fail to kind of use the demographic report alongside actual conversations with neighbors. So. Tree, mm-hmm. uh, having worked in churches and being a pastor right now in a church, how do you approach a neighbor? So I think we approach a, a neighbor as we would a friend because I think yeah, our, our neighbors are our friends, and they're friends to be made, not targets to be <laughs> gone at, sought after, you know? I think often we approach neighbors with ulterior motives or with kind of thinking about if they can be useful to our congregation. And so I think we approach our neighbors with love and with curiosity. One of the things, you know, I, I talk about a lot and and listening and and being more attentive is being curious is seeing the image of God in our neighbors and if we believe that we're all made in the image of God then every time we approach a neighbor we are approaching someone that's made in the image of God someone that has something to show us to teach us to reveal to us about God and so that's that's the most important thing and i think just approaching our neighbors as a a whole person not someone that we have to fix or to improve their lives, but just someone that we can enjoy, as Sam Wells would say. Yeah, there's this, it's a huge paradigm shift away from that bait and switch. I'm, I'm having this conversation because I, I eventually want my church to grow or, you know, and the place that this engagement comes from is, uh, it's an I-thou relationship instead of an I-it relationship, isn't it? Mm-hmm. In the sense that the engagement is the gift in and of itself. So in your work, how do you help congregations live into this new way of being and this new approach? Because it is such a huge shift. Yeah, Uh I think just talking about it is is important. So, I mean, a, a lot of congregations are are eager to try something new. I have these conversations all the time where a leader of a church, often the pastor, but not always the pastor, approaches me and says, our church needs to do something different now. We're declining or we're we're at this pivot point. We're ready for something, but we're just not sure what to do. So one one way that we've helped churches to to make that shift is just to recognize that relationship is is at the center of our our calling that friendship and community are actually some of the greatest needs that our neighbors have so we talk about the epidemic of loneliness a lot mm-hmm. and just the fact that you know, Cigna has said that 51% of Americans struggle with loneliness, and, and it's probably more than that. And, and you also see friendship decline as well. These are a couple sociological terms that have been bouncing around a lot lately. And I, I look at our churches that have responded to hunger in our communities, and, and that it's incredible. 
And that's a, a, a need of about 20% of the people in our communities. And so what if we could respond in a similar way to this loneliness, to this lack of friendship, this lack of belonging? And that seems to have connected with a lot of churches and seems to be a good launching place to, to kind of reframe what meeting needs could could be and that what our neighbors are actually longing for might not be physical things, but very well could be that need for belonging. Yeah, and this is where it comes right back around to that spiritual nurture. And, um, you know, whenever we're talking about ultimate meaning or deep connection, we're talking in the realm of spirit and how the church has kind of gotten off kilter with a sense of, okay, if we have a food ministry, then we're doing all we can. But that's not that true sense of meeting the deep need and the deep hunger of what is it to be connected to one another and be connected to something that's larger than ourselves. Right. That's really beautiful. Yeah, we've got several dinner churches that are emerging in our conference. And I think that's almost a perfect pairing of the two, you know, that Mm-hmm. For some, a dinner church can be a place of receiving food and receiving community. And, and it's just a, a much more holistic response to that issue of hunger. So tell me, and this kind of goes back a little bit to you, what is your passion for this work? Why, what, what compels you to move into this kind of way of being? I think... I grew up in Western Massachusetts in a place that Barna calls the most post-Christian area of the United States. And so I spent my whole childhood up until college in a place of post-Christendom. And through that experienced kind of inherited form of church, and then also experienced a new form of church through young life. So just have a compassion for doing ministry with folks that haven't been a part of the church, that mm-hmm. that those new forms of church have been some of the most beautiful moments within a church that I've experienced. And so so when I began King Street Church at, at Boone UMC, it was out of this desire of, hey, there are people in this community that aren't connecting to church as it is, and yet they're spiritually hungry they're longing for that sense of belonging. They're looking for friendship. And so that was my why, still is my why for a lot of my ministry. And then also I have two daughters, a five-year-old and a one-year-old, and I want there to be a thriving United Methodist Church for them. I've just found such value in, I didn't grow up United Methodist, but I've found so much value in the theology, the theology of grace, Mm. just our, our way of, of talking about church, talking about ministry, talking about God, and just long for them to, if they choose to be a part of a church, to be able to have a, a healthy, welcoming, loving, connected United Methodist congregation to be a part of. So that's that's a big part of my why now, is wanting to help the church to kind of make that pivot for us. As you know, I went from super post-Christian Western Massachusetts to Bible Belt, North Carolina, and yet seeing signs of post-Christendom all around me, just depending on the people that I interact with. So Yeah. 
So as you look out, you know, maybe 20 years from now, your, your daughters are young adults. What do you hope for in terms of what that expression of church could look like? So, yeah, I, I hope for a place of connection, that a place of belonging where my daughters can experience the love of God alongside others, where they can receive word and sacrament in whatever form that takes, where they can be connected to the wider church, where they can experience grace. And so I, you know, I dedicated becoming church to my older daughter and just said, may you find a expression of church, whatever, when you find belonging in the church in whatever form that might be, that I have a feeling the f- the forms of church are going to change pretty dramatically in the next 20 years. Yes, so do I. So what do you think is that edge for you? Because it is going to be everywhere will be post-Christendom. Mm-hmm. And that concept of coming to a building for a 10 or 11 a.m. one hour worship service where you have a choir and, you know, a sermon and yada, yada. Wow, that's that's kind of a, a, a dying breed, you know, probably in the next, I don't know, 15, 20 years that you're going to have a hard time finding that in most places. So what's that what's that edge for you? I, I see the church becoming more participatory, more, I guess, democratic's not the, the right word, but more shared kind of leadership, mm-hmm. less hierarchical. I see church being smaller and simpler, mm-hmm. less expensive. Uh, I think sooner rather than later, the church has to survive without tithing, that we have to reimagine how to pay for it. And, mm-hmm. and so that might mean sh- shrinking it down to something simpler. It might mean having creative forms of funding. It might mean sharing buildings with other people. It might mean not not owning buildings at all. But yeah, I do think Things will be simpler, and, and, and yet I don't think it'll be new. I think it will be reimagining some of those ancient forms of, of church. Yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you on that. So what gives you hope? What gives me hope is that in the midst of a very difficult season in the United Methodist Church, I still am surrounded by creative leaders and get to witness firsthand the 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 beautiful ministry that they're doing, the the young pastor in Asheville who's creating a, a coffee roasting ministry business out of the church where they're hiring folks getting out of incarceration and, and forming a faith community around that the the bilingual gathering that does devotional art together and, and is bridging a, a a gap of language and culture and and kind of finding communion and commonality within creating art, all these different things that I get to to see, to be a part of, and it, it gives me lots of hope that God isn't done with the church. There, there's just, there's a, a new way that's emerging amongst us. Okay, Luke, in your newsletter, you've been writing about ethnography. Tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, so uh, in my doctoral research, we have to borrow from another field for part of our research, that kind of interdisciplinary part. Um, I've been drawn to the field of ethnography, which is a kind of subset of anthropology. It's a 
a way of studying culture. And I think that that, that idea of studying culture is a, a really good direction for, the, for a church that's wanting to refresh their ministry or to start something new. I think some, uh, maybe a lot of churches have been started with kind of cultural congruence with their communities, mm. that, that they kind of aligned well with the community. That's how a lot of church plants took off, whether that was 10 years ago or 100 or 200 years ago. But a lot of churches find themselves in this place where, hey, like, why does nobody around us want to come to our church? And I think often it's because culturally there's just this major incongruence. And so ethnography as a study of culture, if a church goes through, if a church borrows some of these ethnographic techniques, then they can discover their own culture and discover the culture of their community and see where maybe there's some surprising intersections. And that might be where they can focus more energy on existing ministry or start something new. So a, a couple of those ethno ethnographic techniques. So one's participant observation. That's the big one. And that's being a part of, an, of, of a group with the hopes of learning more about it. So it's it's not a sit on the sidelines and kind of take notes. It's actually go be a part of something. So, you know, I go to a, a pickup soccer game on Wednesday nights when I can, and participant observation there would be playing, but also playing with kind of open eyes and, and maybe jotting down some notes when I get home. Like usually when I go, I hear a lot of Spanish, but the last time I went, I heard a bunch of Arabic. I was like, whoa, that's something new. Like that's something to take note of. You know, that's participant observation. Another one's interviewing, which we've already talked about. And then lastly is analysis. And, and that's where the, the spiritual listening plan lands is in this activity of, of group spiritual discernment. Uh, so we mentioned holy conferencing, which is from the United Methodist tradition, but also Quaker clearness committees, which are really yes. cool. Yes. There's a lot of really awesome notes online. I, I linked to it in the spiritual listening plan, but yeah, keep coming back to the Quakers for a lot of this. They've been experts in listening for a long time. Yeah. So if you were going to talk to someone, someone who's listening today that is like, wow, this has opened up an, a new world for me, what would be the first step that you would encourage them to do? Yeah, I think check, check out the spiritual listening plan, download it, look around and then find a, a person or a group of people to do it with. I think it's best done in in community and think that when when you go through this process, then you can share your findings with the wider church. And that can be a really fruitful way of of starting something new or of letting go of, of something old and focusing on on what needs to be focused on. I mentioned earlier, we've it's it's really found a, a lot of uses with a lot of different people. Mm -hmm. So those churches that feel stuck, they're using it. We, we've got what we're calling emerging communities, which is our kind of, we're forming new faith communities in places of high disaffiliation in our conference. And so some mm -hmm. of those pastors are going through the spiritual listening plan. We've got those newly appointed pastors that are doing it with their churches. Uh, so it's, yeah, there's all kinds of uses and just think, yeah, get started, go try something, take good notes. And if, it's going well. Try another activity and, and just kind of go from there. 
Thank you so much, Luke. Thank you for the gift that you are to the larger church and the work that you're doing on so many levels. So I really encourage people to check out the Spiritual Listening Plan. I will leave information in the in the show notes about how to get a hold of Luke's book and his website. Luke, can you uh, take us out with a blessing? Let's pray. God who listens, open our eyes, open our ears to your voice and the voice of our neighbors. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Luke. Thank you, Beth. Great to be with you. Church is Changing Podcast is a production of Discipleship Ministries, an agency of the United Methodist Church. Music is by Sanjay Singh. Visit all our podcasts at podcast.umcdiscipleship.org.